Well, hey, welcome to Young Adults. I am so glad that you're here. My name is Jared Bone, and I have the honor of speaking to you all about dating tonight. Uh, I'm so excited because, uh, guys, Tuesdays don't just happen. There are a lot of people and things uh, that make Tuesdays happen. And Logan, who you met earlier, and Coco, they help lead this ministry with me, as well as a lot of people who make this, this happen. Um, but before we get into dating tonight, I want to talk about someone, um, one of the people who helped start this ministry, Coco and Holly's brother, Rob, helped start Start this ministry a long time ago, and uh, such a cool thing to be friends with him and to see the beginnings of this. Um, and I love Rob, and he's so talented at so many things, and he's such a cool person to just know. But one of the things that Rob was probably the worst at is directions. Rob could not find his way out of a wet paper bag. Um, he was uh, born in the Philippines, one of the, the biggest uh, cities in the world in, in Manila. Um, so you got to give him some credit there. It's kind of confusing, kind of a kid when he came over here. So I was in college when I came here, and, and I was confused at the roads for a, for a little bit. Never really got how they broke up some streets and other ones they don't. Um, but Rob's um, atlas in his mind, his, his, his globe in his mind of Springfield was his house, church, MSU, and Chick-fil-A. Okay? So he knew how to get through those four places, and anywhere beyond that, you had to send him uh, send him the address, and it was a mystery if he was going to get there or not. One of my favorite stories about Rob was uh, I was at my friend Stephen's house, and he kind of lived in, uh, in Republic, which is kind of on the west side of Springfield. And Rob was coming from his parents' house, and Rob had been friends with Stephen since high school. Like, they knew each other for a long time. And uh, we're waiting for Rob, like, Rob, we're all supposed to meet there and go somewhere. Rob was a little bit late, and I was like, okay, that happens sometimes. Rob can be late. And uh, we're waiting and waiting and waiting, and all of a sudden it's like, man, we're, we're, he's just... He's like 20 minutes late, 30 minutes late. We're finally like, all right, let's call him and see where he's at. We call him, we're like, Rob, where are you? And he's like, is it anywhere near Buffalo? And if you know the whereabouts of Springfield, he was like, I started, I was headed towards Willard. I knew that wasn't the right place, so I made a right. Now I'm in Buffalo, but I don't think that's right either. We're like, bro, you are way out. Like, you're not anywhere close. Um, well, Rob moved away about five years ago, and me and Kyle Kicker, one of our things that we wanted to do was uh, make him feel bad for not having a good sense of direction. So uh, we went to lunch on one of his last days, and uh, we said, all right, we have an activity plan for you. We have an activity plan for you, and he drove us to lunch, so we got in his car, and then after lunch, we said, okay, this is the activity. You're going to put this brown paper bag over your head. This is slightly kidnappy. Now I realize it in hindsight. I'm seeing it now, okay? But we put a brown paper bag over his head and we said, Rob, we're gonna drive you somewhere in Springfield. We're gonna take the brown paper bag off and you have to tell us how to get back to a place that you know. And it was hilarious to watch it. We, we'd go next to Missouri State, like he knew Missouri State, but he didn't know like the round tree area right next to it. And he was like, oh, I think I'm by Jared's house. I'm like, you're not by Jared's house. Like, and, and then we'd take him to like the north side and he's like, okay, I know I'm, on the north side, but I have no idea where, and he'd get to the Brahms on Kearney, and he's like, on Kansas, and he's like, okay, I know, I know where I'm at. Now, I know some of you play a game that's somewhat similar to this, probably a little bit more dangerous, where you push somebody out of a car, say, you gotta get back to our house, but here's the thing. It's always fun until you're like, okay, I'm legitimately lost, I don't know where I'm at, I need directions, I need something. I almost brought, you guys remember, did you guys have like in your parents' car in one of the things like the atlas that you could undo, but you could never put it back together and your dad would always get a little mad at you for trying to get it out, find your house and then put it back, maybe that was just me. Um, but we need direction. We need direction. And, and tonight I wanna talk about direction in dating. 
because there's so much that we can and we should talk about when it comes to dating. And I'm so excited for this series because we get to talk about so many important things, but the podcast that we're going to release on Thursday is a little bit more of a how-to date. What we're looking for tonight is what is the direction of dating. Here's the things we know about directions. Directions are important when it's uncharted territory. And, and the chances are, if you're in this room, you know that, like, man, I want to be married. There's an end goal to this uncharted territory. I've seen marriage. I want it. I want a relationship. I want to be with someone in this life. But it's uncharted territory. Directions are important. When are the other times that directions are important? When the stakes are costly. When stakes are costly. We uh, had a wedding this last weekend, and we were on our way. It was about 40 minutes away, and I was like, I'm, I'm like 70% sure I know how to get there, which isn't probably high enough, but because the percentage isn't high enough, I'm going to go ahead and use my phone to help me get there because the stakes are costly. I'm not going to show up late to this wedding. We, we got to be there on time. When the stakes are costly, directions are important. Now, this isn't just getting in a car and getting somewhere on time. The, the cost of dating and doing it wrong, we probably have people in this room that when we say the word dating, go, yeah, I know that. I felt that. So when we bring up dating, you hear pain. You hear regret, you hear disappointment, you hear something that was planned and is now lost, heartbreak. I mean, heartbreak has got to be one of the hardest things to come back from. And some of you in here hear dating, you're like, that's exciting. Like, I haven't been on a date in a long time. Like, we're talking pre-COVID, so like, let's, let's get after this. So this is going to be an exciting thing. Hey, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, I'll help you find your way. I'll help you find your way. Some of us are directionally challenged. Some of us are directionally challenged. Here's what I want to say about direction in dating and having a lack of direction. We talked about uncharted territory and it being costly, but you've probably seen it but either in yourself or in someone else, but dating without direction equals drama, right? You've seen it. You've seen the friends that like they start dating and like, they're just kind of into each other, so they're really not dating, but they're just like kind of hanging out, and you're like, okay, that is a recipe for drama. You see it a mile away. Uh, maybe you have been in a relationship, and you're like, okay, this is good, but I don't know where it's headed, and you don't see a future with it, so you don't get it, so you're pushing for it. The other party is not, and you're like, you got, you got to have a, a DTR to find the relationship. You're like, I, I need to know where this is headed, and it turns into drama because they're like, listen, I thought we were just friends, and you're like, we've been hanging out, going on dates, holding hands and kissing, so like, what more will you call this if it's not dating, right? But I think it is important to understand that, guys, this is a tough thing, uh, I was listening to uh, Ben Stewart talk about this. He's a pastor in uh, Washington, D.C., and he talks about how this dating, what we have right here, is not our fault, but it is our problem. Dating has changed in the last 10 years. Guys, I got married seven years ago, but me and my wife were together, high school sweethearts. You can go ahead and say, oh, it's pretty sweet. Um, but we were high school sweethearts before that, and we were together for a little while. So, like, when we started dating something years ago, it was different. Like, when your parents got together, there was not the internet. There was not all these things. The idea of finding someone on the internet, of asking someone out over DMs was not there for your parents. Things have gotten more confused, but there's more resources out there to find a date, but it's happening less later 
less committed, and I think there's legitimate reasons for that. Some people are afraid that if they get married like their parents did, if they enter into dating and they get married like their parents did, they'll end up divorced like their parents and bring pain on the people around them, and you've seen it. So you have some legitimate concerns about dating. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. Just because it is a difficult situation doesn't mean we get to just throw the, our, our hands in and say, I'm, I'm not going to do it. It doesn't make sense. And if you're here tonight and you'd say, okay, I'm married, I'm engaged, I'm in a strong relationship, I'm single. Does dating, like, do, do I really get to have anything from this? Guys, what we're going to talk about tonight are just great lessons for treating other people. For being in a relationship with almost anyone makes sense with what we're going to talk about tonight. And as we talk tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about like what to look for in someone else. But 100%, you also need to be thinking about what you are becoming when we're talking about these things too. Because sometimes we can hold a standard for someone else that we don't hold ourselves to or vice versa. That as we talk tonight, I want you to think, okay, this dating thing, I want to be in a relationship. I, I don't really get it. It is really difficult. I don't know how to walk up to someone and ask them out. We'll talk about that on Thursday. But I want to be there. I just don't know how to get past the first barrier. There's something for everyone here. So our first point tonight, and these are just things to look for for direction in dating. Things to look for in direction in dating. And the first one is a God-shaped direction. A God-shaped direction. Um, one of the most difficult things is to make someone go in a direction that they don't want to go. Have you been in that situation? Like, I have three kids, and uh, they're, they're three little boys, five, three, and one. And you've probably seen them in here after the, the services. Like, they are going in a thousand different directions all day long. Like, it is so hard for us to just get them from the car into the place that we want to be. And sometimes it's a place that they want to be that it's like, I don't have my shoe. Like, we, we showed up somewhere. Guys, this is, this is a real-life story. Last week, when it snowed, uh, I was getting ready to drop my, my middle son off jet. I was getting ready to drop him off uh, at somebody's house who was watching him. And we were like, bud, we brought all your snow stuff. And I looked at him, and he was wearing his rain boots. He wears his rain boots pretty often. And I said, Jet, I need to know, are you wearing socks under your rain boots? And he goes, no. So he didn't get to play in the snow that day. It is so difficult to make your kids, the things they want to do, it's hard to make them do those things. What is going to be difficult in your potential marriage and definitely in dating is if you are headed in one direction and the person that you are dating is heading in any slightly different direction. It's tough. Because the ideal is, is that you both have a God-shaped direction. And I want to talk about this because what the Bible uses for the word of like what you do when, when Jesus changes you is it uses the word repent. And repent is the idea that you are walking in one direction. And another word for it is retreat. You have walked away from the things you're walking towards and you are walking towards something else. So what it's saying is, is that we have a tendency to walk towards selfishness, towards sin, towards destruction, towards the things that we most naturally want at whatever cost that it takes to get there. And the penalty for those is death. And not just like a physical one-time death, but an eternal death where we are separated from Jesus, God our Father, forever. That's the consequence. 
But if you read through the Bible, you know that the story is, is that God sent his son Jesus to take those consequences for us on the cross, even though he didn't deserve it, so that we could have relationship with him again. And he did all that for us. And all that we bring into the conversation is an about face, a turning in a different direction. So I want to ask you tonight, has God shaped the direction of your heart and of your life? I'll be honest. I grew up in a church. Like, I didn't have a choice. I was going to church nine months before I was born. So I grew up knowing what the right thing to do was. I knew what it looked like to say and do the right things. But I don't think that I let God fully shape the direction of my heart and life for a long time after I said I was a Christian. Has God shaped the direction of your heart and of your life? Are you running towards him, not just, man, I show up to church, I'm trying to do it, but has God taken you and turned you around to something? And can I just tell you that being on this side of it, I can't imagine going back to that way. I can't imagine going back to the way of pretending I'm walking in that direction, but also taking steps in another direction. It's totally worth it. But the ideal in dating and the first thing that we have to get to is are you headed towards Jesus and following him or are you headed in any other direction? Because if this isn't right, bringing somebody else along, good luck trying to get them to understand where direction you're headed. Good luck trying to make that make sense. Good luck trying to make that appealing enough for someone else to join with you because the ideal is is that you are running in a direction towards God. You are following him with your entire life and you accidentally brush elbows with somebody and go, okay, God, they are cute and they're headed towards you. Can Can we keep moving together? Because the idea of marriage is that you would hold hands with someone as you pursue Christ. And dating, this is another thing that Ben Stewart said. He said that dating is not the destination, it's the pathway to get there. And we have to view it that way. If, if dating becomes the place that we set up camp and live, we're gonna act like it. We're gonna live that way. But when my life, when your life is headed towards, like, God, I wanna honor you in everything that I can possibly do, so I want my marriage to do that, I want my dating to do that, your dating is gonna be in line with that. I want to show you a couple pieces in 1 Corinthians. And while you're turning to 1 Corinthians, we'll be in 6 and 10. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing a letter to a group of people called the Corinthians. And the the Corinthians had so much screwed up. I mean, they have divisions in their church. There's sexual stuff going on in their church that he says, listen, even people outside the church don't put up with this. And you all are fine with it. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. They're they're doing things that don't make any sense. So he's doing things like he's, he's correcting behavior. He's reminding them who they are in Christ. And then he's telling them this is the way that you ought to live because of who you are in Christ. And he says this one phrase twice, and it's so interesting. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, is the first time you see it, and he's using a, a phrase, and it has quotation marks around it that first time. It says, all things are lawful for me. You know what that means? It's, it was what the Corinthians would say of like, listen, I know Jesus, and he's cool with me. He's forgiven me, so I can get away with it. And the heading on My Bible, in this certain text, says that it's about sexual immorality. And he goes on to say you should flee, run in the opposite direction of sexual immorality. And here they are saying like, I mean, 
I can get away with it. Is it the worst thing in the world? And Paul uses this phrase and said, okay, you can get away with it. Will God forgive it? Sure. But look at his next phrase. He says, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are helpful. And then he goes on to say, but I will not, and he says it again, all things are lawful for me, sure. But not all things, I will not be enslaved by anything. Like, they don't see it. When you're in the middle of one of these situations, you're enslaved and you don't understand it. See, they thought and understood that by the way that they lived their lives, they said, man, I I can have sex with whoever I want. They had so perverted some things that they were having sex with prostitutes in the temple chambers, just such a messed up thing. And they're saying, well, we can do it because God will forgive me. And he's saying, okay, yeah, you can do it, but it's not helpful, and you're enslaved by it. And we read that, and you have to understand that a lot of the ways that the church dates, people that have a mark on their life that have turned from the things of the world and turned towards Jesus, we date very similarly to people that are not Christians. And I think we have to think about that. That's what he's telling them, hey, it's not helpful, and it's enslaving. He goes on to say in the next verse, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And what the argument there is, they said this phrase as well of like, well, I have this desire, this hunger, and also God's created food. So that's the right thing to do, right? He says, no, you you are made for God. You're made for him. That's the most important thing. And you see it again in 1 Corinthians 10. He says the same thing. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, all things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. He says the same thing again. Hey, all things are lawful. I can get away with it, but not everything's going to help you. But look at what he says the second time. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Not all things build up. Does the way that you date build up the people around you? Or does the way that you date take everything that you can for yourself? Me and my wife had dated for a long time, and I wish I could say that I did everything perfectly. But thinking about the way that God wants us to date each other, he wants us to glorify him in everything. Look how he ends this phrase, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, so whatever you eat, whatever you drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, is this verse a catch-all? Sure. Does he talk about sexuality and relationships in 1 Corinthians? Absolutely. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Does the way that you treat someone that you're attracted to, romantically interested in, does it glorify God? I think a lot of Christians can honor God in so much of their lives, but when it comes to their romantic areas, they go, okay, I have to do it myself, so I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to impress you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I think I need from you. And we end up hurting people. We end up really hurting ourselves. We're enslaved by it. And I think we have to take a step back. Proverbs 3 talks about how you don't do things by our own understanding, but the way that God does it. We walk by faith. We walk by understanding God's word. And he'll make your path straight. 
um, in different cultures, you've seen different ways that dating happens. And really, up until about 100 years ago, you saw the way that dating happened is parents would help. They would say, okay, let me help you evaluate. And when you think through dating, it's evaluating for marriage. Parents would help evaluate. And that's the way it was in the Bible. And one of the coolest stories that you see in the Bible is of Isaac and Abraham, who, you know, Abraham was this, this huge person in the faith, and his wife had just died, so he, he asked his servant, hey, will you go and find a wife, gives him some things to think through, and says, will you go to this land and find a wife for my son? And the, the servant is like, How, what if I'm not equipped? What if I die along the way? What if she won't come back with me? What, like, has some legitimate concerns. And Abraham's response is like, it's in God's hands. Are you praying and trusting in the way that God leads you in your dating? Where it's in God's hands. Are you being faithful? Sure. But are you also running so fast in a direction? Because when you're single, you have the ability to do that in a great way. That you just trust God. God, I'm praying for it. I want a relationship. God, I'm going to run and I'm going to trust you. Second thing. The second thing is God-shaped decisions. The second thing we look for for dating direction is God-shaped decisions. And what we're talking about here is really character. Does that person, as they are running this race, do they start to make decisions based on, okay, that's not a good decision for me running in this direction. You see it a couple times in the Bible, um, Paul does it in 1 Corinthians 9, right before what we just read, and you see it in the author of Hebrews. They both talk about how they are running a race, and they are tearing off the things that do not help them run in the race. Are you doing that as you prepare for relationship? Are you letting God shape your character in a way that is going to be attractive to someone else? Are you saying, this is it? This is as good as I'm going to get? Not in just the way that you look, but in your heart, in your decision making. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Does this describe you? And does this describe the way that you date? And does it describe what you're looking for in dating? In Ephesians 4.15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head and into Christ. Does this describe you? Are you growing in truth and in love, in God's word and with God's people? I have some things to think through. Do do you and the person that you're looking at, do they invite God into their decision-making process? Do they know and obey God's word? Are they in some type of community where they get to pour into others and others get to pour into them? Guys, that is one of the reasons why we do groups. We don't just do groups because it's fun to meet at coffee shops and talk about stuff. We do groups because we need it. We do groups because, I don't know if you've ever run in a crowd, but if you're running in a crowd and someone starts to try to go a different direction, they're going to help them keep running in that direction. Um... 
uh, we got to go to a wedding this last weekend, and one of the coolest things was both of the people that were getting married had such an incredible group of people around them that helped shape their character, but also helped confirm in the person that they were dating and now married to. It wasn't a situation where they started dating and the people around them never saw them again. It's like, uh, I used to know them, but then they started dating. I knew them two years ago. <laughs> they had people around them that could confirm the person that they were becoming and the person that they were trying to link arms with and run through this race of life with. And for some of us, you don't, maybe you're here and you don't have a person that you can talk through difficult and deep things with. And let me tell you, that is such a great step to take that will do more for your spiritual walk than makes sense. Do they invite community in? Is there someone pouring into them or are they pouring into someone else? How do they use their words? Does God's word inform and direct the way that they use their words? How do they respond when they are pressed? when things get difficult, when things are not easy. One of the things that was most attractive about my wife when we started dating when we were in high school, she had a very difficult situation where someone that she was very close to, someone that she really considered a father in her life passed away. And just watching her in that scenario, she responded with grace and kindness. She ministered to people as she was grieving And it made me want to be with her more because that is who she really was. Do they serve when it's not easy? It's easy to look at someone who you find attractive or you think there's a future with that might be a little foolish and think, okay, I'm a little more mature in this area, they're a little more mature in this area, we'll help each other grow out of that foolishness. It's not the way it works most of the time. A fool is someone who brings someone else down with them. Bad decisions only get multiplied when more people are close to the situation. Does dating show someone's character or does it force compromise? Because when you're that close with someone, you can't help but see either character or compromise. And I think this is so clear, one of, the, one of the ways that we see it. When you read through God's word, and when what Paul talks about later is that there's really two categories for the way that men and women treat each other. And the way that a man is supposed to treat a younger woman is that of a sister. And the way that he's supposed to treat an older woman is that of a mother. And then vice versa, a woman is supposed to treat as a brother and a father. And then you flip the page and there's marriage. There's husband and wife. There's not a middle ground for, well, we're dating, so I get some of the aspects of marriage, but some of the responsibility of not. Because I think that's one of the things that confuses and messes with our psyche in the way that we try to date is that we try to understand what marriage looks like and we sprinkle that onto our dating relationships when that's not the way it was meant to be done. There's not a place for friends with benefits. There's not a place for people who are dating who take advantage of each other in certain ways. It's just not. And what we do when we do that is we dishonor the one who created that system who knows it's best for us. And hear me, I know that this is not 
the way that it operates outside of this room, the way that it operates outside of a people of faith. But I think that we maximize the potential for pain when we mix these two. Do you see character or do you see compromise when you get close to someone? My third point, the last thing that you look for in direction in dating is a God-honoring draw, a a, a pull to someone else, a chemistry, an attraction. And, And I think the question here is not like, do you find them attractive? That should be the case. I'm not asking you to go date someone you don't find attractive, but the last thing that you should ask is, why do I find this person attractive? Is it for the things that we talked about just a minute ago? Is it because the direction of their life is clear? Is it because that God is shaping their character and their decision-making process? Or is it because, man, they're willing to talk to me when no one else will? They're willing to make compromises that I know other people won't. And they're not showing any character, but they're there for me. Why do you find them attractive? And I think this is one of those things that we have to answer this question. Is this person in line with direction and decisions? And I think this is where you don't have to tell somebody after this, like, hey, Jared said it. I don't find you attractive, so I'm going to stop talking to you. Please don't do that. Be kind. But I think as you start to evaluate yourself and the direction that you have for your lives, you have to figure out why am I attracted to this person and what am I attracted to them for? And if you're not, and you'd say, I'm attracted to them for all the wrong reasons, this is my type of person and, I'm attra- and I don't know why and I wish I wasn't, I wish I could honor the Lord in the way that I was attracted to someone, I don't know how to change it. Can you just start with praying? Can you start with asking God to make you that type of person? To see if that's your value system? To see if that's the way you, your goals work? Because I think that God will change that over time. I think God will grow that in you. I think good things will happen. One of my prayers for tonight, and we're getting ready to wrap up in just a minute, is that we would pray over dating. And I know that seems like such a silly thing to, to, to pray over asking people out and going to Andy's and w- going to see a movie. But I think, like we talked about at the beginning, it's uncharted territory and the costs are high. And I think we have an opportunity to show the world that we want to give God glory and everything. Why? Because it's worth it. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes?